This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill. I'm with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hello, Professor Gershon. Hello, Liz. We've got another interesting show to broadcast today. If you miss a live In Legal Terms episode, find our podcast. You can find our past shows also on our webpage, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Today we've invited Cliff Johnson, director of uh, the MacArthur Justice Center, to talk about defunding the police. Uh, I have the pleasure of working with Cliff at the law school, and the MacArthur Justice Center and the students in the clinic that, uh, that Cliff directs are doing great work uh, for the people of Mississippi. They're uh, helping to uh, deal with uh, excessive bail issues and have really helped to change uh, the landscape of criminal justice in our state. So it's great to have Cliff to talk to with us today about defunding the police. Uh, Cliff, can you please talk a little bit about your background and about the work of the Justice Clinic in Mississippi? Sure, Richard. Good morning. It's great to be with you. I am um Excited to talk about this topic and certainly happy to talk about MacArthur Justice Center and what we do. The MacArthur Justice Center was started um, more than 20 years ago in Chicago and is the, the home office is housed at Northwestern Law School there. We have offices in St. Louis, in New Orleans, in Washington, D.C., and our office at the University of Mississippi School of Law. Um, basically, we're a civil rights law firm that litigates in the interest of criminal justice reform primarily. Here in Mississippi, we, we've been focused, as you said, on issues of illegal bail practices that result in poor people sitting in jail for months and years on end while they wait for their trials, while people with money go home and, and um, continue to be with their families and, and work and live their lives while they wait for the system to play out. We deal with delivery of, of mental health services to those who are incarcerated, deal with issues of access to counsel for poor Mississippians who uh, need public defenders. We currently are litigating jail suicide cases and recently have undertaken an investigation of a police shooting in Greenville, Mississippi. So, so you know, we're interested in possibilities to bring about reform in Mississippi. I've practiced law here for 28 years now. Um, I'm from Mississippi. My family's from Mississippi. And uh, I, I care about this place, and I, I think we can do better. Um, and I think we we should do better. So I don't come at this as someone who is hostile toward the state of Mississippi. I come to it as a, you know, as a Mississippian who believes that there's opportunity for real, meaningful improvement that can change people's lives. Well, y'all have been doing a great job. I know it's a, a, a great training ground for our students, too, and, and I know they have a wonderful experience uh, learning the law while they do some good for the state. Now, let me, we've been hearing a lot about defunding the police, and so you know, what exactly does that mean? I think a lot of people get a little nervous when you talk about defunding the police. What, what does that mean? 
I think one thing that's important to note, Richard, is that when we talk about defunding the police, there are, there are multiple conversations ongoing around that description, right? And so when some people say defund the police, they are talking about um, a reprioritization of the police, um, a, a move in the culture, our, our public life away from a, a police-centric uh, effort toward maintaining public safety and helping um, live productively in the community toward um, you know a, a use of experts and people who have greater ability to really um, protect uh, certain segments of the society to deal with root causes of behavior and and so we're talking about a move away from this very expensive very much um, uh, often oppressive, intimidating force um, towards something that looks very different, and we'll and we'll flesh that out as we as we talk. Um, but when but what makes people nervous sometimes when we talk about defund the police is a notion that there are, p- people are talking about abolishing the police, and I think it's important to make clear that that is indeed true. There is an abolition movement. In the United States, it is not new. It didn't just happen with George Floyd. There have been people, Angela Davis and others, who for for years and decades have talked about the oppressive nature of policing in the United States, its historic roots, you know, beginning with slave patrols, um, ultimately moving to um, enforcing Jim Crow. Um, later, you know, in the context of the war on drugs or the war on terror, where the police became highly militarized, um, there's a notion that there's a system here that current form simply can't work, doesn't work, and should be abolished. Um, I know for some people that um, uh, is of great concern, but I think there are aspects of that conversation um that all of us should take very seriously. Um, And I think that it is aspirational in a way that, again, we can talk about during the course of the hour. Um, It's a a movement toward making police departments obsolete. It's not about just, you know, throwing communities open to lawlessness. It's the notion of moving toward a way of living our lives where – um, that kind of militarized force using violence isn't necessary. And, and frankly, I'm inspired by that conversation. I think it's something that, that a lot of people, once they dig into it, could, uh, could get on board with. This morning, we're talking about what are protesters' intentions in chanting defund the police. If you have a question, give us a call, 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You could also send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. I saw a tweet the other day that uh, really spoke to our show. The person tweeted, I know defund the police seems radical and scary, but dissolve police departments, then rebuild them as one small facet 
in a network of specialized services so police aren't called to handle problems they're woefully ill-equipped to solve isn't as easy to chant or fit on a poster board. We've got a we've got a call. Let's go to Starkville and speak with Dennis. Dennis, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question? Yes, hello, um, Cliff. I don't know if you remember me or not. I met you in Lund several years ago. I, wrote I do remember there. you. It's good to hear from you, Dennis, and I have fond memories of our time in Sweden, so good to hear from yeah, you. I was, anyway, my comment is the origins of where the problems all begin, and it might be a simplification, but I still think it's correct, and that is when parents send their little boys and girls to preschool that are absolutely segregated, and then onward to to academies that are basically segregate, the ideas come into mind that there should be separation. And where there's separation, of course, there's going to be conflict. And so the police are just a a part of this general theme of separation. So that's my comment. Thank you, Dennis. We appreciate you calling in today. You're welcome. It's a great point, Dennis. And, and, you know, really, we're so lucky to have Cliff here because of the work they're doing. And, and, you know, what what would defunding the police have an impact on criminal justice reform in our state as well? I know that's one of the the big areas that you focus on. Uh, And what about our nation? So, look, Richard, you know, I have conversation with police officers all the time in in my work. And I speak at the sheriff's. association convention every year, most every year, because I really want to hear from law enforcement as well. And and here's what we know. You know, we ask police officers to be mental health therapists. We ask them to be drug and alcohol counselors. We put them in schools and ask them to deal with issues involving children. We ask them to be marriage and family therapists. We ask them to be social workers for the homeless. And they'll be the first to tell you that they're not trained to handle these matters. There, there are people who are much better than the police at dealing with these um, responsibilities and the, these daily issues that arise um, that, you know, to which we often dispatch police rather than highly trained people. We have the second highest incarceration rate in the world here in Mississippi. We had dropped to third, and we just recently passed Oklahoma again because Oklahoma um, implemented some reforms. And so here we sit in the poorest state in America with the second highest incarceration rate in the world where we lock up people and put them in prisons that are incredibly understaffed, where violence runs rampant, where no rehabilitation to speak of occurs. And then we ultimately are surprised when people come back into communities where there's no support, no access to housing, no access to jobs, and they um, commit crimes and wind up back in prison. Because what we, what we do, Richard, and, and what seems so problematic is that we are not addressing root causes of behavior. We are waiting for manifestations of larger problems, and then we are cracking down on people when they behave in a manner that we don't prefer. And 
And it's been interesting to me when you talk about criminal justice reform, how many tough prosecutors are quick to recognize that if we don't provide services in the local communities, we don't provide mental health uh, access at the community level, if we don't provide drug and alcohol services, if we don't provide access to jobs, they know these folks are coming back and they're tired of it, right? I mean, they, they are left to deal with it. And it's a question of political will. It's a question of investment and priority. It's a question of getting beyond our fears and our need to control people. And particularly, I think, in Mississippi, across the country, it's true as well. You know, black and brown people who for a very long time we have feared and who we have viewed as a threat. Um, it is it to see the world through different eyes and and recognize that we can come alongside people earlier in their lives, earlier in the process, and provide resources, assistance that makes their lives better and all of us safer and I think happier. Um, it, it's it's a this is a serious conversation. This is not something that's radical and far away. It makes sense to me, and I think it makes sense to a lot of people. We're going to continue our discussion of defunding the police, abolishing the police. What does that mean today in our society? And here's something to think about. How much does the city of Oxford spend on public safety? I'll tell you next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is In Legal Terms. Not everyone has a chance to listen to our whole show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can hear the whole show at inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. We're talking about defunding the police. What, what does that mean? What does that look like? And to just give you a little perspective, according to the audited financial statements for the fiscal year 2017-2018, Oxford's public safety spent $15.6 million out of a total city expenditures of 73.7% million dollars or 21.2% of the expenditures for the city of Oxford went towards their public safety. Our guest expert today is Cliff Johnson from the MacArthur Center 
MacArthur Justice Center, Mississippi, and we have four calls on the line. So as soon as one call hangs up, you can call in to uh, take their place. Let's start in Bogalusa and talk to Hippie. Thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. Go ahead. Yeah, that was uh, Bogalusa. I wanted to make a comment about how uh, they talk about the racist practices of police targeting a specific portion of the population, but that actually works both ways, that they don't target a certain population, and that population isn't going to be about defunding the police because they don't have any problems. If I blow a stop sign, I'm more likely to get pulled over than if that police officer's mother blows the same stop sign. That there needs to be some sort of removal of them being able to discriminate against one group of people as compared to another group of people. I'll take your answer off line. Thank you. We appreciate you calling in. Um, uh, Cliff Johnson, do you have a comment about that? I do, yeah. Uh, Hippie, I've, I've been to Bogalusa. My family's from Tylertown. We used to have to go to Bogalusa to see a movie. Um, I know where you are, um, and I hear what you're saying. And I think one of the the issues that, that we all should consider is the, the prevalence of police interaction generally, the reality that when we talk about having all these police on the street and the notion of targeting certain people, you gave the example of running a stop sign, you know, it's the reality is only about five percent, slightly less than five percent of all arrests made in America by police are for violent crimes. And so when you have this issue of people being police being in communities and, and being out in the streets, what we call, you know, broken window policing, where every infraction is considered a law enforcement matter and in, and results in an interaction and an engagement with police, you increase the likelihood of of real problems, right? And if the kind of, of interactions, simple interactions gone bad, like we saw recently in Atlanta. So part of this conversation, I think that's interesting is, you know, can we use other means to regulate traffic violations um, that don't require people um, with guns approaching you about a stop sign? Um, the other part of your question about targeting populations, I mean, what we do know is that, you know, there is significant over-policing in minority communities. I mean, that's where we see law enforcement to the extent they're just out cruising around, to the extent they're trying to enforce, for example, you know, drug use uh, and drug laws, um, despite the fact that black people and white people use drugs at, at the same rate. Black people are 10 times more likely to be arrested for a drug offense. Um, so, you know, we, we have to, to speak truthfully about the, this bias, um, whether it's explicit or implicit. And we have to think, I think, long and hard about uh, the extent to which you need um, police force and the use of the police to handle situations like the one you described. Let's take our next call. It's from Jackson. John, we're so glad you've called into our show. What's your comment or question today? Well, I couldn't agree with you more that the meeting of basic human needs will do more to reduce conflict and crime than anything. But I am very worried about one thing. 
given our history and uh, our obsession with guns, my concerns about misinterpreting the funding of the defunding of police result in a far more savage vigilantism. How do we be sure that professionals and not brutal vigilantes deal with crime? Thanks, John, for that comment. Uh, Cliff Johnson? Yeah, John, I, I appreciate your concern, and I think you've articulated the concern that a lot of people have about this movement. Um, you know, the leaders of this defund the police um, effort and abolish the police effort, um, I think, are, you know, thought, these are thoughtful people who understand that they don't want to leave communities open to um, to violence. And I, you know, one of the uh, demands I heard most recently was, you know, let's in the short term, let's cut the number of police in half and cut their budget in half, move that money other places. But to the extent in, in those 5% or less of cases where there's an arrest for violence, where there is a need for some presence, um, we could we could maintain a specialized group of people who deal with those situations. Um, uh, and dramatically reduce the size of police and military and, and police presence. Um, I think you know it's impossible to address your question without talking about the realities of the need for gun control in Mississippi and in the country. And I understand that that will um, elicit a strong response, but I think we know that as long as we have the uh, access to the type of types of weapons that people have access to now, that this will continue to be a, a problem, and we're going to have to, to talk about that as part of this larger solution. I, we can't pretend that we don't have a gun problem in the United States, and John, I appreciate you raising that. Thank you for adding that to our conversation. Let's now go to Memphis, and Howard is joining us. Howard, thank you for calling in to In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question? When there's a mass protest coming down the street, and they're obstructing a person in the car going, or any other person going from point A to point B, that person who's trying to go from point A to point B, they should have rights too. And uh, I just don't know whose rights come first. Thank you, Howard. Um, Cliff Johnson, last week we had uh, ACLU interim director Josh. Tom on, and he mentioned about the the need for protesters to lawfully file for a permit. Um, You know, what about uh, those protesters who don't file a permit and then block right-of-ways? Do you have a comment about that? I, I appreciate our desire not to be inconvenienced um, and, and not to, to feel um, like we should have a, be able to get from point A to point B, Howard, and I, and, I, um, and I understand your concern. I do think that in the larger scheme of things, when we think about why these people are in the street and we think about the importance of protest as the kind of impetus for 
for example, Mississippi Public Broadcasting discussing defunding the police in 2020, um, there's just always will be a role for uh, people expressing their voices and for people to express their outrage. Um, and in short of physical violence, which we all condemn, and in short of, you know, mass chaos, I do think that we need to be prepared to be inconvenienced to some degree um, in order to hear from affected communities and people who are passionate about what's been happening historically. So I'm not in favor of physical violence. I believe in the rule of law. At the same time, I just think it's so important that we recognize how protest has been a vital part of change and progress in our society. Um, so I don't know that I've satisfied Howard, but I, I have to say that um, nothing makes me feel more patriotic than to see people in the street expressing their passions and, and their concerns um, in a way that 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 is heard and that is made you know public through media. Um, I think it's an important part of our culture and our society. Thank you, Howard. We appreciate you calling in. And I will just say um, I have a relative who was protesting in Memphis the other week and was in the street and then was hit by a car intentionally. And that individual was arrested by the police. Our guest today, along with uh, Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, is Cliff Johnson from the MacArthur Justice Center, Mississippi. How much does the city of Jackson spend on public safety? I'll tell you that next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We hope that you'll subscribe to our podcast. Lots of different podcasting platforms out there. If you have an Apple device, you've already got one pre-installed. On my Android, I happen to put on Podcast Addict. I downloaded it to my phone. I touched the little plus that takes me to a page to search for podcast. Then I typed in In Legal Terms. It brought up our show. I'm able to touch the photo and subscribe so that I'm notified when any new episodes are loaded up, which is usually, you know, before five o'clock on Tuesday afternoons. This morning, we're talking about what defunding the police really means. It's a catchy poster board 
uh, slogan, but you know what what does this mean? What does this look like? Our guest is Cliff Johnson from the MacArthur Justice Center, Mississippi. He's sharing his factual knowledge and his opinion on some of these topics and issues that we bring up. One thing we looked I looked up. Um, on the audited financial statements for the city of Jackson for fiscal year 2017-2018. They spent uh, $60,996,000 out of total city expenditures of $159,730,000 or about 38 0.2% of expenditures for the city that went to Jackson's public safety. We've got four calls waiting, so let's go ahead and plow through. We're going to Tupelo. Terry, thank you so much for calling in to In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question for our show? Thank you. I'm a moderate Democrat, and the way that I look at this is when you throw out words or hashtags like defund the police, abolish the police, you're going to lose a lot of voters. Now, we live in a republic democracy, and if you want to make changes, you have to vote for people that feel like you or will do things like, uh, you know, your policies. When you throw out terms like that, that alienates a great portion of our population. Uh, You know, the protesters, I'm fully behind the protesters, but they are a small minority of our voting population. And in a republic democracy, there's only two ways to make change, either vote or armed conflict to overthrow the government. So my feeling is if, if you have to take an hour to explain what defund the police means, your hashtag is not getting the message across. Thank you, Terry. We appreciate you calling in. Uh, Cliff Johnson, do you have a, a comment? Yeah, I do. Hey, thanks, Terry. I, I appreciate the, the point. This notion of kind of how do the politics of this play out is always a tension. I've heard other people talk about that. You know, what we know is that when people said abolish slavery, folks thought they were crazy and that there were political repercussions to that conversation, so much so that it caused a civil war. Ultimately, it was very important that we do that, and we were successful when people thought we wouldn't be. You know, when people have fought and said that we should give women the right to vote, it was a radical statement when it was first made. You know, so there's this tension between speaking clearly about the world we want to see, speaking prophetically and aspirationally on the one hand, and speaking carefully carefully so as to, to garner votes on the other hand. Um, I, I just think we're at a point where we have to hear this and we have to understand the place from whence it comes, uh, the history of a thousand people a year, every year being killed by police and how that happens and why that happens and think in a hopeful way about a, a different approach. And, you know, um, my my sense, Terry, is that this conversation, when you talk about losing people, I think this conversation, if people will take the time to engage in it, is one that really resonates across party lines. As I said earlier, talking to prosecutors about 
their views of the need for local community support, community-based services in order to reduce crime. That's the conversation I've had with people of all political persuasions, and it's a productive one. So I think you're right. It's not a, it's not an, an easy hashtag to just uh, to embrace, but I do think it takes us to a conversation worth having. Go ahead. No, that's what you know. One of the things that you've been concerned about is militarization of the police, too, because it used to be they were a peacekeeping force. Now they are enforcing the law and they've been armed with military grade weapons. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about that as well? Yeah, I think when we when we think about the presence of police and how it makes us feel and the general ethos around p- p- law enforcement, we have to talk about militarization over the last couple decades. You know, and we have this 1033 program in the United States that has allowed more than 8,000 law enforcement agencies to access more than $6 billion worth of military equipment like night vision goggles and machine guns, armored vehicles, bayonets, grenade launchers, military aircraft. And and with that has come this increase in the use of military tactics like SWAT teams and no-knock raids. So, you know, there's a study that said that this, you know, the, the use of paramilitary style teams by law enforcement has increased by more than 1,400 percent since 1980. So when you encounter these forces and when you see them in streets, this kind of occupying presence, um, the, the, the notion of escalation, the, the reality that this creates a different um, environment, um, you know, is inescapable and it makes perfect sense. And so a, a big part of this conversation is if less than 5% of all arrests are made for violent crimes, why do we need $6 billion of, of military equipment, and, you know, going to local police departments? And, and the other problem with that, Richard, is there's a use it or lose it reality to it under that program, if you don't use this equipment within the first year, you have to give it back. And local governments, local police departments have to pay for the storage and the maintenance and the upkeep. And so in order to justify having it and justify that expenditure, right, you feel compelled to use it. So I think that significant change in the last 40 years is, is worth considering as, as well. When we start talking about, you know, how do we create an environment where we are safe and we're also we're providing services that people need. I'm, I'm convinced that this militarization movement is not the answer. Let's go to Memphis and Daryl is on the line. Daryl, thank you so much for calling into in legal terms. Go ahead. Uh, good morning to everyone. Um, I agree with the previous one of the previous callers who mentioned the fact that if he's driving down the street and runs into a, a group of protesters and they have his right of way blocked, what is he supposed to do then? I can understand the uh, trepidation he may have as because at that point he's putting himself in danger as well because you don't know the mentality of everyone in that group. I'm not saying I'm against protesting. I'm just saying in this, in, in that instance, that uh, the police should be there to ensure that things do go peacefully. Which brings me to my point and what I'm calling about. <clears throat> excuse me, and that is rather than defunding the police department, 
of police departments. Those funds or whatever funds are available should be used to thoroughly check the ones who want to become officers and the ones who are officers. And if there's anything that is found in their background that will make the police department um, have a negative uh, uh, outcome or a black eye, then get rid of that person and let it be known that person cannot work anywhere else in law in 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 enforcement. Uh, but that was all I have. I could go on, but I don't want to uh, take up the time. But thank you for taking my call, though. You're welcome. Thank you, Daryl, for calling in. Uh, Cliff Johnson, do you have a comment about uh, who should be allowed to be uh, a police officer? Yeah, I mean, I think Daryl said a lot and and um, and I, I, several things in response. One is, you know, if you if you follow the lead of some abolitionists who are saying, look, let's immediately cut the police force by half and police budget by half and use that money other places that that doesn't eliminate police altogether immediately. I don't think people um, are talking about many at most instances, immediate elimination of police force. Um, I think that this is a progression um, that moves us toward a society where we need no police or far, far fewer police officers. I think Daryl raised a really important part about who becomes a police officer and who's allowed to remain in the police force. Look, we know that there are many, many good police officers out there, right? Good people who join for the right reasons, join the force and they want to do good things. Um, uh, but we can't get lost in this one bad apple conversation, right? That it's just a few bad apples, but otherwise we should just keep doing things the way we do them. That conversation is played out, and I don't think that's the conversation to have. On our but show, Daryl's oh, identified a real big problem. Yeah. Daryl's identified a big problem about regarding um, the, the influence of police. Um, internal affairs groups, police unions, and I'm not a union basher, I assure you, but certain um, agreements uh, that municipalities have made with police unions and their ability to protect officers, the fact that officers who do a bad thing in the city police department wind up getting hired by the sheriff's department out in the county, or they move from one county to another within law enforcement rather than getting rid of police officers. Um, police departments just move them along. They don't want to ruin their career, but they don't want them in their local office. Um, I think militarization may impact the decisions that are being made as far as who wants to become a police officer. I think there are people who are really interested in some of the social services aspects who might become police officers if there was more of an emphasis on that, um, who aren't because they aren't interested in tanks and machine guns. Um, so I think that identity, focus, purpose of police impacts who becomes a police officer. And I think the ability to figure it out and get rid of bad cops is very important. And Daryl's right on that it's hard to identify them on the front end. It's hard to eliminate them once they, they uh, misbehave. And, and again, I'll say, you know, we all know that, you know, people are there are good folks who are police officers. And this is not not an effort to say that there are not. I've enjoyed it. There was an NPR story earlier about, I believe it was the Camden, New Jersey police force, and they fired everyone and then 
or reorganized within the county and then rehired uh, police that way. And some had been uh, rehired, but uh, some didn't. That was one way that uh, they did abolish the police, but then reorganized it. We're learning what... With great success, yeah. Yeah. With great success. We're learning about what defund the police really means. Would you like to learn more about the MacArthur Justice Center? I'll tell you how you can find out next. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show on our webpage, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on demand on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows, and it's a podcast. I'm Liz Gill here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. It's been a minute since we've had someone from the MacArthur Justice Center on our show. Our podcast from April 10th, 2018 was with Cliff Johnson when uh, he profiled the center and its work. You can also go to their website, MacArthurJustice.org slash Mississippi. We are talking with Cliff Johnson from the MacArthur Justice Center, Mississippi, about what defunding the police really means. And we have four calls, and we're going to try to get to everybody. Let's go to Lois in Quitman. Thanks for being part of our show, Lois. Lois, we're, hi, Lois. We're hi. glad you've called in. What's your comment or question today? Look, here's my thing. Sometimes the police do mistreat people. Seen it a lot. And I have a son in prison. And do you know the guards walk around? This one guy's four people were beating him. And the guards act like they didn't even see him. But at the same time, we need police because we would be in a world of danger without them. Thank you so much for that comment. We appreciate you calling in. Let's go to Helen in Yazoo City. Helen, thanks for calling in to, uh, in legal terms today. What's your comment or question? I'm calling about defunding the police. Um, I don't know that the woke people in this world realize that there are criminals out there. There are going to be criminals out there. No matter what you try to do, you lose the police, you gain on the criminal lines. And there's not a psychologist, psychiatrist, social worker, anybody that's going to step in when there's a bad problem. So we have anarchy. Think about it. This is a world that is in turmoil right now. 
um, in Washington. They are totally out of whack with what's happening. You can't live in a world without safety nets. And as far as equipment, if police don't have it, just like the military, if you don't have it when you need it, you're in bad trouble. If somebody breaks into my house, my neighbor's not going to be able to help me. I have to take care of it myself because I live in the country. So by the time the police get here, I could be dead. It's not going to happen. We, the people, are planning on taking care of ourselves because the woke people are trying to disassemble what has been working for hundreds of years. We need to sit and talk and get ourselves together. And we conservatives, along with the liberals, need to get it worked out. Don't depend on uh, riots. Don't depend on liberals saying, let it go, throw them out, like Omar in Seattle. She would love to see the police defunded everywhere because she doesn't even want to be in America. So, America, take care of yourselves, vote the right way, and help each other, no matter what color. Help each other. Thank you. Thank you, Helen. We appreciate you calling in. Uh, Cliff Johnson from the MacArthur Justice Center, Mississippi, what do you have to say? Well, first of all, I appreciate Helen's interest in having a conversation with conservatives and liberals sitting together and talking about this issue. And I am welcome, Helen, to call me at the MacArthur Justice Center. I'd, I'd love to have that conversation. You know, I think part of what happens, this notion that there will always be and that there are dangerous people out there um, speaks to the issue, you know, and the reality that we've never really tried this this reprioritization where we deal with root causes and we provide expansive social services, resources, access to early childhood education, access to counseling, access to mental health services, access to drug and alcohol services. I do think that there's a fallacy when it comes to increased police equals a, a decrease in crime. That correlation study show just isn't clear. And, and there are many reasons that, um, that the crime rate has decreased over the last several decades. So, so I think that, that what Helen is talking about comes from commitment to a system where she says it's been successful for the last uh, centuries, for hundreds of years. I would, I would respectfully disagree with her on that. And I would say that there's a better way to do it. And, and I think liberals and conservatives should sit down and talk about what that might look like. I pre- and I appreciate her willingness to do that. Thank you, Helen, for calling in. Uh, Wayne and Carolyn, I'm sorry, we do not have uh, the time to, to get to your calls. Uh, 30 seconds, Cliff Johnson. Do you have anything else to say about the defunding the police uh, hashtag? My hope is that people will take this seriously, research it, read about it. Um, DeRay McKesson and others are writing things that are really important. We need to hear from black voices in affected communities. Um, you don't need to hear from just a 53-year-old white guy at Ole Miss Law School. We need to hear other voices, more important voices than mine. And it's a, it's a conversation worth having, and Mississippi will benefit from it. It's a whole new world. Thank you, Cliff Johnson from the MacArthur Justice Center, Mississippi. We'll need to get you on again. 
Love to do it. Always happy to join you. That's going to wrap us up for today's In Legal Term. Uh, Jay White has been our stellar engineer for our show today. So for Professor Richard Gershon, who really was with us the whole hour, hosting from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. We hope you'll join us next Tuesday for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.